0: By listennotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone everywhere, Pastor Robert Thibodeau
1: here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Today we're so blessed that you're joining us for part two of a great interview with Corey Rosinski about the magnetic heart of God. Hey man, and he's been sharing with us the five cravings of the soul. And this is so important for you to understand. As he's been sharing, that your soul craves to have fellowship with the Father. Amen. And his book is going to help you do just that. You know, the Magnetic Heart of God, Understanding the Five Cravings of the Soul. The link for us down in the show notes below. But folks, if you missed any of the prior episodes, you need to go back and catch up. Because we don't have time to cover everything all over again. But it is so important that you hear about and understand what your soul craves. Praise God. So let's jump back into the conclusion of this interview now with Corey Rosinski. Before we get into the the book, I want to just reiterate something you just said. You know, they're always, the the people are always chasing the next thing, the next thing, the Mm -hmm. next thing. And, And, you know, we went out when we were out in California, gosh, 20 years ago, I guess it was, uh, La Jolla, California we, yeah. we were doing a wedding out there. That was the first wedding I ever did it was in La Jolla California and uh but we were driving around and you know see all these mansions and you mm. know all that, and, say, man, I wish we could live there you know and I told my daughter she said that, and I told her, think about the movie stars, you know, everyone said, "Oh, I wish I could live there. It'd be so great, you know, but to them, see the gate that's not to keep people out. It's keeping them in Uh because they can't go to 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee. They can't go to the grocery store just to run in and grab something and come back out. They got put on disguises and all this other stuff. So they're not bothered, you know? So they are now in a prison of their own making. That's why they turned to drugs and alcohol and all this stuff, you know, because they achieved what they thought was going to make them happy. Yeah. Instead, there's no happiness there. Right. You know, they and, got and people and, all around them, but they're so lonely and isolated. Yeah.
2: And the sad part is, is rather than coming to a full realization of this and saying, wow, I need to look in a totally different place, um, we tend not to do what we what we tend to say is, you know what? It's not, it, it's, we keep our eyes on the same place. Where we say, I just need more.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: So rather than saying, oh my goodness, I, I realized that $100 million isn't going to make me happy. Instead, that, that, that fallen human instinct is to say, you know what I need? I need $200 million, mm-hmm. right? Someone's like, rather than rather than finding the joy and the bride of our youth, what we say is, you know what I really need is a new wife. You know what, what I really need is I need this other thing. We keep pursuing the same – we're so uncreative. We keep pursuing the same fallacies. We just expect more of
1: them to bring us peace, and it never does. Amen. Let's get into the meat of the situation here. You've sure. identified five cravings of the soul as yes. security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. You also relate these five cravings as being demonstrated in the Garden of Eden. And I believe mm-hmm. that gives us a clear understanding of the point you're trying to make. Can you elaborate on that for our, us in the audience to, so they'll be able to see what it is you're talking about in your book? Sure. Well, the Garden of Eden is a classic
2: example because it's, it's the original... It's it's the original kickoff of this whole thing where mankind was created in the image of God. And when when we think of the Garden of Eden, we always think of the Garden of Eden as this place of of tranquility, of perfection. It's the Garden of Eden. Of course, this is pre serpent, right? Mankind was living there was there was um they had total security. They, they had total identity. They had total independence. I love that passage where it says, you know, God would bring the animals to, to Adam and whatever he named them, that's what it was. Right? God wasn't micromanaging. They were, they were allowed to steward and govern and rule over the earth. Um, they had significance. They were the crown jewel of creation. They had innocence, right? Sin had not yet entered the world, right? And then the serpent enters the picture. And the serpent does what the serpent always does. He hasn't changed one iota. It's always the same message. He says to them, did God really say, right? Can you really trust God? And then he even goes on further to say that that God's motives in this are impure. He's concerned that if you get smart enough, you know, it's going to be bad for him, right? So what does he do? He calls into question that their security and their identity in God himself. And he promises them unique independence and significance. He says, you will be like God, right? So Adam and Eve exchange real security and identity for a phony sense of independence and significance. And in so doing, they sin and they lose their innocence. It all comes crashing down, right? Because those are the five cravings of the soul in a nutshell. And of course, in the book, I go in depth into them. There are security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. These are the cravings that have driven every person in history to do everything we have ever done. And they aren't just psychological. They aren't just biological. They are in the soul.
1: Let's talk about security first. We all Mm -hmm. want security, as you said, to feel safe in our life. Share a little bit about this need for our soul to experience that sense of security.
2: Right. Well, security, I, I break down into two categories. I break it down into physical security and to relational security. You know physical security um physical security is well documented in in the field of psychology, right? We call it the survival instinct, our desire to stay alive, right. Um, and but it's not just our desire to stay alive. it's our desire to stay alive um, that is proactive, right. So I don't just run away from danger, but I actually build walls to protect me from it. right? We're not just reactive, we're proactive to trying to stay secure. So on one hand, there is this idea this protection of, of physical security that we all have, right? Even the most heinous murder in the, murderer in the world is going to put safeguards in place to make sure that what they inflicted on someone else isn't going to be inflicted upon them, right? Which is why all these massive drug lords and all this stuff are so paranoid. They're all worried about their own, they'll all go mow down, you know, all these other people with, totally heartlessly and yet they want to protect themselves. But then there's relational security and that is to say, that is, this is the source of all of our songs, right? All of most of our stories. We want to know our hearts are in the, are safe in the hands of those who hold them. And so what do we look for uh, security? And we tend to look for security, as I said, in walls and in, in money. If I have enough money, no one can harm me is our imagination. Of course, money can be taken away. So it's a fallacy, but it's something we convince ourselves of. Um, I'm going to have my security and in life insurance plan. I'm going to have my security or we look for someone specific. I'm going to put my security in this man or in this woman and they they are going to keep my heart safe. Of course, we're all fallible. And so that that never works out long term. There is always blips in that road. There's only one place we can actually find security, and that is that that is in the our Maker or in the person or right, in the God Himself who who made us and who is making a place for us. You know, the Scripture says um, um, in Matthew, I believe it is don't don't fear those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. Right. Yeah. Which I think it's Mark. I think, but but if you're going to fear anyone, fear God, who who alone has power over the soul. Right. Amen. Amen. And he alone is the place where we can actually find true security. And yet the truth of the matter is we as Christians are famous for saying, oh, I know this. Yeah, God's God's my security. I know all this. And yet we go out and we live exactly like our unbelieving neighbors, yeah. worried about the same exactly. things, the same finances, the same concern over someone leaving us, the same concern. over We have the same insurance plans, right? we're talking out of both sides of our mouth. (laughs) Right. And so a part of the, like I said, the book is, is to help us come to, come to a self-awareness. Right. Um, And when we come to a self-awareness, we actually, actually come to a social awareness as well, because one of the beautiful things about understanding the cravings of the soul as well is it doesn't just help me understand me. It helps me understand everybody else. And we Mm -hmm. become united, united in that, in that Mm -hmm. core craving. Amen. And that, that
1: brings us to identity. I mean, Mm -hmm. as believers, We identify as being created in the image of God, but is it that easy to convince our mind and heart? Right.
2: Well, no, because we're fallen, because we have a sin nature, because I mean, and that is always a challenge. God, I call the book the magnetic heart of God, because I believe that God placed these cravings inside of us for the purpose of drawing us back to him, because only in them can they be satisfied. The problem is we have a sin nature now, who constantly works to divert these cravings into into fallible and faulty places, right? And that is the great the great battle we see is on one hand the magnetic heart of God is drawing us to Him. We intuitively know this, and yet our sin nature is diverting us into folly, right? In the case of identity, you're exactly right. I'm going to say I I am I am I am the apple of God's eye. I am a son of the Most High God. I can say all these things as a Christian, right? And yet, my my pursuit of identity is oftentimes eerily reflective of my unbelieving neighbor, where what I really am looking for identity in is the fact in in my children, in my spouse, in my career, in the diploma on my wall, right? Again, perhaps in the money in my bank account, I want people to to see that. Um, And so the book is really a call to say, hey, all of these places, again, are fallacies, right? And your identity is not safe here. Our identity needs to be in Christ, where he has called us to be. And this has to be a very real identity. It can't just be a lip, lip service identity. This is the very crux of what the scripture says when God says, these people honor me with their mouths, um, but their hearts are far from me. Again, what is the heart? We can go back into that. The heart is the soul. That's a whole other conversation. But we, we always talk about the soul ambiguously. This is we talk about the heart ambiguously. But in both Hebrew and the Greek, the word heart in the scripture is the seat. It's the core of who we are. It's talking about the soul.
1: Amen. Amen. You know, the United States of America was founded on the idea of independence, being independent from a monarchy that they believe no longer cared about them. That's, right. You know, autonomy, not right. being dependent on someone else. How does our soul view independence for us today? Right.
2: right. Well, because our soul has fallen, um, it has forgotten its need for to connect with its maker. And so, as I mentioned, our sin nature is always trying to divert us into folly. And so we do see, I mean, when you think of our insatiable craving um, for freedom and for individuality and all these things, by the way, they're like I said, these cravings are not sin. What makes these cravings sin is when we divert them away from God, their true fulfillment, and we divert them into fallible places. That's when they become sin. Yeah. Mm Right. And, um, So, yes, we see this great push in the world today for independence that we could somehow stand on our own. And the sad part about this is we simply were not designed that way. And that's why there is no independence and there is no freedom that is really ever enough. Right. We gain one freedom when immediately we demand another freedom or we gain another freedom and we demand another freedom. It's never enough. It's when we see this in the culture today, it's constantly pushing back the boundaries further and further and further and further we see it in sexuality we see it financially we see it all over the place this this craving for independence and um interestingly enough as we saw with adam and eve in the garden um it's only in god that we can experience what i call safe independence right i think i um there's an old saying that says um, um or the old question the old proverb that says um what is freedom without wisdom and virtue and the answer, it is the greatest of all possible evils, right? Yeah. And the whole point Amen. being, if Amen. if freedom is not governed by restriction, by some sort of loving, caring boundary, it is the very thing that ultimately destroys us.
1: Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know,
2: that is our self-destructive sin nature that pushes itself into unsafe places. And God, that's the beauty of God's word. God's word gives us the framework in which we can live in a structure of safe independence,
1: Amen. I mean, you share about Satan demonstrating a craving for significance yeah. that went totally wrong. I mean, it totally yeah. backfired on him. Yeah. And then you contrast that with Jesus, yeah. who achieved the ultimate insignificance. Yeah. Share yeah. your perspective on these two things yeah. in relation to what our souls crave for significance.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, sadly, our souls tend to try to mimic Satan. And what mm. sin- Satan was looking for was a promotion. Right, the scripture says he wanted to ascend and be like God. That's what Satan Satan wanted to be. Climb the ladder, so to speak, right, and become like a. He wanted to rival God, and of course, it's impossible. You know, that's the interesting thing. A lot of movies depict this kind of struggle between darkness and light, good and evil. It's not. It's not a struggle. Like Satan had zero chance. The only one qualified to be God is God, because he's the only one who's omnipotent, who's omniscient, who can be all places at once, who knows all things, who's all powerful. Satan is none of those things, right? God alone is those things. So, but Satan, he craved a promotion. Whereas we look at Christ, and it says of Christ, um, who though he was, you know, could, was God, in fact, who but he did not view that as something um, to be grasped and said he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So well, while Satan demanded a promotion, Christ, who was God, took the position of a servant, right? And And as a result of that, God exalted him to the highest place, the scripture says, giving him a name that is above every name, right? Satan's pursuit of significance was to say, I'm going to get to the top of the ladder. I'm going to be the top dog. Jesus said, I'm going to humbly serve. And as an act of humbly serving, God raised him up to have a name that is above every other name um, so that he is now the most significant above all creation.
1: And, you know, it's as you're explaining it that way, you just think to, uh, you know, any type of employment situation. Uh, I was relating it in my mind a second ago to the military. You know, you have those people that they're always trying to get promoted. They're always, mm-hmm. you know, stepping over people, you know, uh, taking credit for stuff that someone else did trying to, you know, look good in the boss's eyes so they can get promoted yeah. and get that pay raise and all this stuff. And, when they do, usually it leads to trouble because they haven't learned the foundations of everything. But you have those who go into the workforce, they go to their jobs, they do what needs to be done. Often they do extra without being told. Uh they're there to serve while they're while they're working. And that is noticed by the high end. A lot of people think, oh, you don't get noticed that way. I guarantee they notice. Because you know, yeah. I've, I've had employees in, in the military and police department, I had you know subordinates underneath me, and I know who does the work and who does yeah. most of the work, and, and those are the ones that you send to the additional schoolie. And then, right. the, the, you know, get the extra time off, get the, you know, things like, oh, you got to take the day off, go ahead, right. you know, no problem. You know. And that aspect of it makes the significance even more significant. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. those who are trying and to impress the boss, you know what they're trying to do and you know how they're going about doing it, and they don't get those breaks. Right. You know? So, amen. Amen. Well, no. the
2: interesting thing is their pursuit, of course, is because they think that that is how they're going to find peace. If wow. I could just become the boss and we're all struggling with this, I will have peace. And the truth of the matter is, it doesn't. Then all of a sudden, right. you have the, there's just simply another rung to climb. True peace, of course, is discovered in realizing. Um, that you are a child of God. Yeah, that God amen. loves you. The master of the universe, the master of the universe died to save your soul. Amen. It's like a it's like yeah. a mental explosion. That is where your significance is found, is in the nail scarred hands of Christ.
1: Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's move on to innocence. Now, in order mm. to get a clear picture on the characteristic of innocence, you give an illustration in your book, the difference between not guilty and righteous. There's two yeah. Totally different things. Share with us the difference and and how that relates to the characteristics of innocence in our soul. Right.
2: Well, it's just that there is the craving within all of us. And this is a big one. See, if you're talking about security, identity, independence and significance, um, those are all you will find for the last 200 years, you'll find countless books and papers of psychology written on the human need for these things. They've never been brought together like I've brought them together in this book. And they've been classified as psychological rather than in the soul. I'm saying these are not, these are non-biological cravings, right? So that's why I'm attributing them to cravings of the soul. Um, but innocence is a whole different thing. Nobody's talking about our craving for innocence, and yet it is second to none. Virtually every argument we've ever had <laughs> began by someone um, either for either subtly or not so subtly accusing me of wrongdoing or wrong thinking. And it struck a nerve and it caused an arc makes me want to push back because I have a craving for innocence. And again, this craving for innocence. is a good thing. It's not sin, right? God specifically put it inside of us so that we would desire to live in right relationship with him and with our neighbor. Right. Mm-hmm. But as a distortion, as our, as our fallen selves, as it's diverted into folly by our sin nature, Our 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 craving for innocence becomes combative and it it sparks all argument and an awful lot of violence for that matter. Um, And the difference between being, again, innocent, which I call not guilty. Right. We crave more than that. Right. There's two sides. We crave also to not just be considered not guilty. We could consider to be we crave to be considered righteous. And and whether, I like I say in the book, whether it's kind of the natural evolution of the craving or whether it's when our, our need for innocence melds with our need for significance, either way, like I said, we crave an excess of innocence to the point where we become righteous. And boy, when you look at culture today, they may be throwing Christianity under the bus. They may be rejecting all sorts of religions but they have not lost their zealous desire to feel righteous and to judge someone else and to think that I am better than them. This whole council culture today is mm-hmm. based on the distortion of our innocence craving. It says somehow I have to um, make you guilty or, or cast you as some sort of villain so that I can feel like the righteous one. Yeah. And again, the, the paradox of this is that only in actually confessing our sin can the blood of Jesus and the gift of Jesus wash over us so that we are actually finding declared innocence? There's only one place where we can actually be found innocence once again. And again, the, we, but we look at it through all these other things in the world. We're looking for innocence in all these different places, but there's only one place where it can actually be found. And again, that's the magnetic heart of God. These cravings inside us drawing us back to the one place they can actually be satisfied. Yes,
1: Amen. Amen. That is so good. That is so good. I I could talk to you for hours about this. (laughs) As we get ready to close, though, I know your book is not yet released at the time of this recording. When is the release of your book, The Magnetic Heart of God, Understanding the Five Cravings of Your Soul?
2: Yes. Well, the the book is available for pre-order anywhere right now. Um, It won't actually be released until December 12th. So there's lots of Ah, opportunity for Christmas at that particular point in time um but it's available for pre-order right now and uh, pre-orders for for up and coming authors like me are important because they actually signal to book uh bookstores whether or not they actually want to carry the book
1: yeah
2: um so um yeah i would love it if people would be interested in pre-ordering it it is a deep dive into the core of who we are and like Mm -hmm. i mentioned in understanding ourselves we finally understand what we're looking for um i give it to a when I first wrote the book, I sent it to many different people to get many different perspectives. I sent it to missionaries. I sent it to atheists. I sent it to other theologians and psychologists and said, Hey, what's your thoughts on this? And two of the most profound ones I got back were, was, um, from an atheist and from a missionary who, who interestingly enough said the same thing. They said, not only does this book kind of describe the soul and the core of humanity and the pursuit of humanity, but from their perspective, it is, um, it is a clear description of what it actually means to be Christian. See, there's a lot of myths out there in the world today of what it means to be Christian. So this book breaks it down. It's an evangelistic book in that sense, yeah, yeah. where um, atheists. Uh, I remember the one atheist. He said, "You know what? I'm not yet ready to, to reach the same conclusions you've reached, you know, about Jesus." But he said, "Boy, have I ch- has it changed the perspective on my own life and who I am and yeah. what I'm looking for." So.
1: Hey, Amen. Yeah, it's a great book. So I went through it in preparation for the interview. And folks, I mean, it—it it is a great book. Man, if someone wanted to reach out to you to ask a question or get more information or maybe do an interview like this, how can they do that? How can someone get in touch with you?
2: Sure. The easiest way would be to Corey, go to CoryRosenki.com. That's kind of where everything is is located. Obviously, my personal website. Again, that's C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N-K-E.com. And um, you could contact me from there. Um, I'm also on Facebook. And um, I just started the Twitter thing. It's a totally different world out there. I'm not sure how to navigate that, but I'm attempting. But definitely the website. Um, and, of course, just Googling my name or even the Magnetic Heart of God understanding the five cravings of your soul that's easy to remember um it's going to pop up anywhere on the internet and it's going to guide you towards the place you can contact me as well
1: amen amen i'll put links to that in the show notes below folks in this society today the world wants you to never offend anyone just accept each and every person and their beliefs and just leave it at that actually that's what they say but what they want us as believers to do is to accept their belief systems and keep ours to ourselves. But that's not what sharing the gospel is all about. As Pastor Corey shares towards the end of his book, The Magnetic Heart of God, he says in the book, proclaiming the gospel without offending is not possible. Even Jesus could not do that. Which is why Jesus told us in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. This is also reinforced by Paul in his letter to Timothy, where he shared in 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Those are not comforting words for many people today. But in the big picture of things, it should be a comfort to those who truly believe. If you're not receiving pushback for the gospel you preach, maybe you're preaching the wrong gospel. Just saying. you know, Are you trying to get along, to go along, or... not making any waves not wanting to make anyone upset not wanting to change their eternal destiny for hell the choice is yours to make but I urge you right now while you're thinking about this drop down into the show notes click the links right there to get in touch with Pastor Corey Rosinke order his book The Magnetic Heart of God Understanding the Five Cravings of the Soul get this while it's on pre-order you'll be blessed as you read through this book and participate in the thought-provoking self-study reflections at the end At the end of each chapter, he puts these in there to get you thinking about this. Pastor Corey, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on the program today and share with us. I do appreciate your time.
2: Thank you again for the opportunity.
1: Folks, that's all the time we have for today. Pastor Corey Rosinke and myself this Pastor Bob reminding you to be blessed
0: in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.